Well, hey, everyone, I hope you're having a great Sunday. My name is Eric, and I'm one of the pastors here at Core Church. And today we are continuing our series called Quarantined. We are looking at different people in the Bible that were either self-quarantined or quarantined against their will, which is the case for our story today. And when you think about the word quarantine, I want you to think of it as a metaphor for some kind of a crisis, adversity, a struggle. That's what this series is all about. And we're talking about this because God wants to work in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst of this crisis, in the midst of everything that is going on right now in your life. God wants to work. God wants to speak. And I believe that God wants us to draw close. And as we do that today, I am in our core youth room here. And I'm here specifically because we're looking at a famous story in the Bible about a guy named Daniel. And it's a story that I grew up being told as a kid, and it was told to me as a kid's story, but it is anything but a kid's story. It is not a story for kids because there's lying, there's backstabbing, there's lions, there's people that are getting ripped apart. Like, it, it's pretty intense. And while it may or may not be a story that you grew up hearing, the lions mentioned in this story, and I want you to hear me on this, they are lions. Like, they are not cute little kittens. They're not Mufasa from the Lion King that sings about the circle of life. Like, they are rip-you-to-shreds lions. And our stage in this youth room has some of my favorite carpet in the world because it is made to look like the skin of a lion. And if you can see it in the frame here, it doesn't. Like, it doesn't look like that. But just go with me on this, okay? Because it's still awesome, and it's still some of my favorite carpet ever. But this story is found in the Old Testament in a book called Daniel in chapter 6. And as you flip there, as you swipe there, or as you just sit there, let me give you some background as to who Daniel was. Daniel was from the tribe of Judah and was brought to Babylon as a slave. He was brought to Babylon as a captive along with other men from Judah. And why they were brought to Babylon was to strengthen the kingdom and the foundation of Babylon with strong, smart men to better help the king and the kingdom. But here's what's really interesting about Daniel is that he very quickly began to stand out and above the rest because of his, his wisdom, his ability to help make wise decisions, and his gift to interpret dreams, which gave him a very prominent position of leadership in the kingdom of Babylon. He gave counsel to the kings, helped them make wise decisions that affected the rest of the kingdom, and he also interpreted the dreams that the kings had. Whether that was good news that was coming for the king because of their dream or bad news that was coming because of the dream that they had, Daniel interpreted it and told the kings what it said. And now there's a new king and his name is Darius, that, and this is a king that Daniel is now working with and helping. And Darius was known to be an administrative genius, which for those of you that know me very well, uh, and for those of you that don't, uh, that means that Darius and I had nothing in common. But Darius, being a, a wise man, decided to seek the counsel of Daniel. And Daniel's believed to be about 80 years old at this point, and Darius decides to appoint Daniel to help protect not only the king's interest, but supervise the other leaders and the other high officers and officials that were running the kingdom. And so basically Daniel got promoted to a position of being a leader of leaders. And here's what it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 3 through 4. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, which was his wisdom, ability to make wise decisions, and his gift of interpreting dreams, because of those things, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. 
Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs. So they're getting jealous, and they don't like how Daniel was, was promoted above them. So what do they do? They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn Daniel of. Why? Because he was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Today, I want to talk to you about how to prepare for a crisis. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this day. And I thank you for this story that we have. I just thank you for the power of your word. And I pray that as we look at this story, as we take some time to read through it, God, I pray that we find something that we can apply to our life. I pray for the story to just come alive as we look at it today and that we would be blessed by your word and our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it was a Wednesday morning, and I was sitting in Miss Cheney's eighth grade drama class. I was wearing a shirt that was three sizes too big, and I was wearing pants, jeans, that the legs were so wide you could fit three 13-year-olds in each one of the legs. Those were the days of Massimo shirts and Jinko jeans, and they were days that I hold very near and dear to my heart. And I remember sitting in my very hard metal chair facing the stage, when the door to the side of the classroom opened and the assistant principal walked in. And it was kind of a moment like this. We're watching the stage, the door opens, and everybody's eyes go to the assistant principal as she walks in. And she walks in, and she scans the room, and she points at me, and she says, grab your stuff and follow me. Now, please know that this was not a moment uh, like when Jesus called to his disciples to follow him. This wasn't like one of those moments. This was a moment where a hush fell over the classroom and I was strategically trying to dodge this finger that was very clearly pointed at me. But I ended up having to grab my stuff and I had to follow her up three flights of stairs to her office and I sat down in a very hardwood chair that still makes my back hurt today as I think about it. And I remember her vividly walking around the desk, which had her name on it, and sitting in her green comfy chair. And I remember thinking, why didn't I have a green comfy chair? But she looked at me and she asked, she goes, Eric, do you know why I've called you here today? And I said, I don't. She said, okay, follow me. Now keep in mind, this was before Fitbits had been invented, so counting your steps wasn't trendy, it just wasn't a thing. She just wanted to walk a bit. So we walked three flights of stairs up, now we're walking three flights of stairs down, we're going into the main office, and in the main office in this, at this round table were three sixth grade boys that were sitting at this table. And as we're in the office, she points to those boys and she says, that's why I've called you here. And I remember looking at these boys thinking, like, is this a new club for me to join? Like, I had no idea who these boys were. I had absolutely no clue. And I, I can't even remember before that morning having ever seen these boys before. But they looked at me, and I looked at them, and we left. And I went back upstairs into her office, which... By the way, this is a strange thing to remember, but it smelled like uh, burnt microwave mini pizzas, if you know what I'm talking about, and it was freezing. And I sat back down in my hardwood chair. She sat back down in her comfy chair, and she began to explain to me how those boys, each one individually, had accused me, had made accusations against me for bullying, for physical abuse, for stealing, and for verbal abuse which was all news to me because none of it was true. 
again, I had no idea who these boys were. Hadn't seen them prior to this morning that I could remember. But she asked me, she goes, Eric, did you, did you do these things? And I said, no, I didn't. And she sits back in her chair like this. She folds her arms and she goes, well, it's just out of my hands. The next step is a formal hearing. Well, you'll, you'll be able to give your story. They'll be able to give their story. That's it. It's out of my hands. And I remember sitting there thinking, well, surely there's something else that we can do. But I was immediately uh, suspended, and I was sent home. And I just remember thinking, I didn't do any of this. Like, none of this was true. For some reason, these boys had decided to make these accusations against me. And I remember driving home and just feeling defenseless. I remember feeling so confused, so mad and scared and just so fearful about what was going to happen. I mean, we were having conversations about me getting expelled and I kept thinking about this being on my permanent record and, and I thought about trying to get a job in the future. I, I thought about trying to apply for college and all of these institutions always drawing from this one incident in eighth grade that just ruined everything. And I'm telling you, that's what fear does. Fear is irrational and it makes us play out the worst case scenario with the smallest things. And maybe for you, maybe it's, it's a bill that has come in the mail and you don't know where the finances are going to come from to, to pay for this. And so you're thinking, well, that's it. They're taking the house. Like we're never going to recover. Fear just begins to warp your mind. And maybe it's your end of semester report card. Maybe you did not finish the way that you wanted to finish. And now you're thinking that for the rest of your life, that C that you got in AP chemistry is just going to follow you. Anytime you're at a job interview, anytime that you're trying to do something that's meaningful, somebody's going to say, well, you know, we, we see here you got a C in AP chemistry. Do you want to tell us about that? Like your mind, the fear is irrational. I was talking to a friend this week who, uh, whose son was sick and he was throwing up. He had pain in his side. And they were afraid that it might be appendicitis, encouraged him to go to the ER, and then fear kicked in and thought, well, if he goes to the ER, not only is he going to lose his appendix, but he's going to get COVID-19 and he's going to die. And fear just began to warp our thought, that thinking process in that situation. Fear is irrational. And that is what a crisis does. A crisis causes us to freak out and to not think clearly. And that was me back in eighth grade, sitting in that hardwood chair. I was not thinking clearly. I was thinking the worst case scenario before any of the story had been written. And maybe you haven't had somebody accuse you of something, but maybe you've had a friend stab you in the back. Maybe you've had a coworker spread hateful rumors about your work ethic. Maybe something happened to your kid. Maybe something happened to your parent. Maybe you've had some kind of financial hardship. You've lost your job. Something that you had always dreamed and anticipated and hoped and looked forward to is now has just been taken away from you. A crisis, a struggle, adversity is something that happened that we didn't expect that's affecting us in a negative way. And we are all in the same boat when it comes to this pandemic. This is a crisis. And most of us, we're not prepared for a crisis. We're not prepared for pain. And the truth is, though, we will all experience pain, crisis, adversity, disappointment. Like, it's coming. And I've said this before, you are either headed into a crisis, you're in the middle of a crisis, or you're on your way out of a crisis. And if we aren't prepared in the way that we need prepared, we are not going to learn anything. 
and we're not going to be in a position to be used by God. And sometimes, sometimes, the way that we try to prepare is once the crisis hits. Like a crisis hits, oh, okay, we've got to scramble, we got to get prepared. Or when we're in the middle of a crisis, we think, i got to prepare. What, 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 what do I have to get ready? Which isn't the time to prepare. That's the time to be prepared. So how do we prepare for a crisis? What does it mean for us to be prepared for a crisis long before it's headed our way? Can we even be prepared for a crisis? This is the situation that we find Daniel in. And Daniel was prepared. And as we look back at the story, Daniel was placed in a very important position of leadership. And those who were under him, they didn't like that, so what did they do? They went to the king and they began to stir up the king's pride just a little bit and tried to get him to, and coerce him to sign this order into law that anybody, anybody for the next 30 days cannot pray or worship anybody but King Darius. And then if anybody does, they'll be arrested and thrown into a den of lions. And the king likes that. Why? Because it makes him look super cool. So he signs this order into law and it is effective for the next 30 days. But why, why did these officers get the king to do this? They were jealous of Daniel and they knew, they knew that Daniel loved God and was a man of prayer. Look at verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Daniel prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. As usual. Like that was Daniel's response. His response, as usual, was to do what he had always done. And, and Daniel's response to a crisis was to pray. And I would love to tell you that that was my response that day in eighth grade. My response was to pray. I left the school with my hands raised, glorifying God. That was not, that was not my response. My response to that crisis was panic. And it makes me think a lot about the crisis that we're in now. When the shelter-in-place order went out, specifically for Oklahoma, I, I did not go home and pray. I went to Walmart and I stocked up as quickly as I could on bottled water, on beef ramen, and on summer sausage. And I, as I say that out loud now, it's just ridiculous for me to do that. Like a lot of good that's going to do. Uh, and I'm thinking, have I not learned anything since eighth grade? Like beef ramen, water, and summer sausage. But how do we, how do you, how do you prepare for a crisis? This is really important. And I want you to lean in on this. Write this down. How do you prepare for a crisis? Three things. Bottled water, beef ramen, and summer sausage. No, that's not how you prepare for a crisis. That is the absolute worst idea ever. And, and for those of you that I know are just wonderful note takers, I really hope you didn't write that down because you're going to have some nice little scribbles on your pages that you just decorate and make look so nice. But seriously, how do you prepare for a crisis? So it's the night before my hearing, and I was allowed to have my parents and my youth pastor in my room doing, during the official hearing. And my youth pastor calls me the night before just to see how I was doing. And again, I'd love to tell you that my response was, you know, I'm just, I'm rooted in the presence of God and I'm ready for this hearing tomorrow. No, that is not what I said. I was freaking out. This was it. It was over. It was the end. Well, the end of what? Everything, as far as I was concerned, 
But my youth pastor called me and he said something to me that I will never forget and that I've held on to ever since. And this is what he said to me. He said, Eric, pray. Do what's right and trust God with the results. Pray. Do what's right and trust God with the results. And we see this in Daniel's life. We see this in the way that Daniel responds to the crisis. The law goes out. He could possibly get arrested and thrown into the the den of the lions, but what does he do? He prays. Why does he pray? He prays because he knows that prayer centers us and draws us close to the heart of God, and that's what helps us know what's right. When I was wrongfully accused, I wanted to, to give more than just a piece of my mind, but I stopped and I prayed because God hears us when we pray and that's what helps us know what to do. That's what helps us know to do what is right. And what I find so amazing through this time of prayer that Daniel had is that Daniel was giving thanks to God. And this is crazy because if anybody had any right to not give thanks, it was Daniel. Because while he had a great position in the kingdom, we got to remember, he was still a slave. He was still a captive. The king, the kingdom, they were using Daniel for his gifts, for his wisdom, and he was just kind of a tool in the cog of tools for this to make this wheel of this kingdom run. But Daniel saw that even in the midst of being a slave, that God was raising him up, that God was giving him favor, that God was present with them, and he knew that good things were happening even in the midst of the hard times. When you pray, when you give thanks to God, regardless of the situation that you're in, that's how you worship. And when you do that, you can trust God with anything. I'm telling you, when you know who God is, when you know his mercy, when you know his power, when you know his grace, I mean, why would you not trust God? So I I woke up the next morning be honest, I'm still freaking out, haven't learned anything up to this point, but I remembered, I remember what my youth pastor said, pray. Okay, so I I prayed, God, uh, this is crazy, that's all I had. I still remember, God, this is crazy, that's all that I was able to pray. Next part, do what's right. Okay, I done what what was right. Did I I do what was right? I I thought so, but but what if I get expelled? What if this always follows me? What if this is on my permanent record? What if I can never do anything that I want to, oh, right, right, right. Trust God with the results. And here's the thing, God is wanting to prepare you during this crisis. You might not think that. You might just think everything is on pause. You might just think that all you're waiting for is everything to go back to the way that it was. But in this crisis, in this moment, God is wanting to prepare you during this crisis. Why? So that you're prepared for the next one. He wants to position you and help you realize that he's with you, that his presence is with you, walking through life with you. We see that in this story. All throughout this story, there isn't a single moment in this story that God is not present with Daniel. Even when he got arrested, even when he got thrown into the lion's den, God was with him. God protected him. And how did Daniel prepare? He didn't go buy summer sausage. He didn't go buy beef ramen, which those aren't bad things but he prayed. Not because it was a magic potion, but because he had a reference point from earlier in this book of the power and the presence of God. 
He had friends that were thrown into a furnace of fire. And he knew that, 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 they, could, that they could die. But Daniel's friends said something that was really interesting. They said, look, we're being thrown into this furnace. It could probably kill us. But we know and we believe that God could save us from this. But even if he doesn't, his friends are saying this to the king, even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to your false gods and we will not bow down to the statue that you've built. Daniel knew that he could go into the den because he saw his friends go into the fire. And we don't know this for sure, but more than likely, Daniel was praying in this moment a lot like his friends were. God, even if you don't save me, even if I'm thrown into the lions, and even if that's the end of my story, I'll still worship you. Daniel prayed. Daniel did what was right. And while he couldn't see what the result was going to be, he trusted God with that. And you might be asking yourself this question, how can we trust God with the results? Like, how can we trust God with things that we can't see the end of? How can we trust God when we're in the middle of a crisis and we have no idea what it's going to look like on the other side? We're reminded, we're reminded of why we can trust God all throughout the narrative of Scripture. But just a few of my favorites, Romans 8.28 says that God is working everything, everything, the good, the bad. God is working everything for our good. And Psalm 46.1 says that God is ever-present ever-present and ready to help in times of trouble. That's what gives us strength. That's what gave me strength to walk into that hearing. You know, that's what can give you strength to walk down a hallway in your school that makes you nervous. That's what gives us courage as a parent to walk into our kid's bedroom to apologize. That's what gives us strength to apologize to a friend that we've wronged over the years. God is with us every single step of the way. But here's the thing. Just because you pray, it doesn't mean it's all going to go the way that you thought it would. Just because you pray, doesn't mean things are going to end up the way that you thought that they would. But here's what I believe about prayer. Here's what I believe about God and what he's been showing me during this, during this crisis. Is that prayer either changes our circumstance or it changes the way we see our circumstance. I, I, God has just been showing that to me, experiencing a crisis on top of a crisis on top of a crisis. Like any time in our life, prayer either changes our circumstance or it changes the way that we see our circumstance. That's the power of prayer, and that's the power in trusting God with the results. So the day after the hearing, I was called by the uh, the woman that had uh, had done the hearing and had interviewed everybody and. Um, she called and, and she told me and, and that, uh, that she had heard all the stories and that she had heard my story and that she had heard from the people that I had in the room with me who were able to speak on my behalf. And after she looked at all the evidence and heard all the stories, she found for the story to not have been true. And so I was in that moment thinking, wait, so what does that m- mean? So I so it wasn't true. So, so you believe me? She goes, I believe you. I believe that none of it was true. And I just remember feeling this weight lifted off of me. And I was able to breathe. I was able to relax. And I was able to go to school uh, literally the, the very next day. 
So you fast forward six months later, and I ended up having a class with one of the boys who stayed at the school. We're in, uh, we're in guitar class, actually. And I don't know why, but I just felt like I wanted to ask him what was with that whole thing. And I don't remember how I asked, but, uh, but he was next to me and in our line of chairs as we were playing and practicing. And I, I just remember saying, so what was with all of that? And he knew what I was talking about. And he goes, well, we were kind of bored. And we grabbed a yearbook. And we were flipping through the pages. And we stopped on you. I remember thinking... I was hurt, like my reputation was hurt, my relationships were damaged, and they just flipped through a yearbook and randomly pointed at me, like for no rhyme or reason. And sometimes, that's just the way it goes. Sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen. It's like, it's like this pandemic, COVID-19, we, we didn't ask for this. And sometimes it feels like what we go through is like the enemy's just flipping through a yearbook, scrolling down the pages, and stops on your face. For no rhyme or reason, but he just, he, the enemy's just decided to pick on you. And in those moments, we can think, you know, why is my marriage falling apart? Why don't I have a job? Why did they get graduation last year and I didn't get graduation this year? Why is my kid sick and theirs isn't? Why did I go through this abuse and they didn't? And sometimes in those moments, we can even think that it's, it's God. We can think that it's God who's flipping those pages of that yearbook and stops on our face. And we, think that, we can think that God is just picking on us, that he's just picking on us and he's just giving us crisis after crisis after crisis. But I do not I do not believe, I don't believe that that's what God's like. I believe that God was like my youth pastor. He was with me, standing with me in the mess of all of that, reminding me to pray, to do what was right, and to trust God with the results. That's what God is like. God was with me. God was with Daniel. God is with you. And regardless of whatever crisis or struggle, whatever adversity that we're facing, God is present, ever present and ready to help in times of trouble. God is walking with you through a crisis and God is going to walk you out of a crisis. How do you prepare for a crisis? pray. Do what's right and trust God with the results.